0: Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please?
1: You are listening to The Big Cruise
0: Podcast.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 131 of The Big Cruise Podcast. My name is Baz, I'm your host, and it's uh, with great pleasure we bring you episode 131, which was recorded on Sunday, the 19th of Feb. First of all, a few thank yous. Firstly, to Gary, our unofficial photographer in Sydney, he sent through some cracking photos of Island Princess, looking beautiful in Sydney Harbour of course she's uh, part way through her uh, 111 day world cruise so probably what maybe 40 45 50 days into that cruise i think at this stage so quite a bit under halfway point and of course she's in sydney overnight so uh, thanks for those uh, pictures there gary um also thank you so much to everybody that's getting in touch we're getting so many listener questions which is great just a reminder if yourself if you have a question do get in touch via the website the big click on join the show in the top right hand corner and uh, send us your uh, listener question for either myself or chris um, maybe even a fact or fiction topic for Chris to weave in and uh, yeah we'll we'll try and include those wherever we can but let's get Chris on the line let's get this show on the road and uh, let's start talking all things cruise enjoy the show and it's always great to welcome our good friend maritime historian and all things cruise back to the show Chris hello hello How nice to meet again
0: yeah,
1: yeah, very we, good. <laughs> well, the, week, we were, the week has flown by. we got uh, more news to talk about. But, of course, uh, we've got a bit of maritime history. We've got listener questions and all sorts of things uh, to, to get through. But, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, first of all, thank you to one of our listeners who donated some coffees. Thank you very, very much, John. Really appreciate that. It uh, very much helps to uh, to keep the, the podcast on air. And if you're not familiar with Buy Me A Coffee, just uh, head onto our website, the big podcast.com, Um, and there will be a little coffee cup that pops up in the bottom right from memory, and that can give you all the information you need to know about uh, what buying a coffee does and how it helps to uh, support us and keep us on air. Every coffee yeah. very much appreciated. Thank you very much, John. And uh, we had a great question. In fact, we had quite a few listener questions come in over the, the last week, so we can't fit them all into this week's show, but the first one I did send over to you because I thought would make a nice little maritime history topic, and this came in... Yep. From uh, Richard or Rich from Zimbabwe. Um, my parents used to sail between Durban and London on the Union Castle. Their ships included Windsor Castle, Transvaal Castle. Do you know what happened to the company and its ships? Thank you, Rich.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, Union Castle line was probably the predominant uh, way to travel between the United Kingdom and and Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. And so lots of people who lived in South Africa but also um, – what was then Rhodesia and then now, of course, Zimbabwe, Mm -hmm. um, would be familiar with the Union Castle ships. And Zimbabwe itself is a landlocked country. So there was, um, you know, you would take a connection down from Zimbabwe to Mm -hmm. South Africa to board um, Union Castle ships out of ports such as Cape Town and Durban, Mm -hmm. which were quite popular embarkation ports, and Port Elizabeth as well. Um, So the Union Castle line, they... So, yeah, they were formed in 1900 with the amalgamation of several um, different shipping companies, and uh, they you know, were part of that big push from the United Kingdom to have um, shipping services throughout different parts of the empire, which is one of the reasons why they became so dominant on that service down to the southern part of Africa mm-hmm. uh, because of all of the British interests there now the ships that Richard mentions were actually uh, I'm assuming that he's referring to the the last two ships to wear those names Windsor Castle and uh, Transvaal Castle
1: mm-hmm. and they were
0: actually amongst the last ships that Union Castle ran with um, and all of the ships actually had the castle um, suffix so that was the way that those ships were, identified mm-hmm. and towards throughout the 20th century they had um a quite a distinctive brand and and livery as well so they had a, a red and black funnel um with a sort of purplish gray hull and all had the um all or by a few exceptions had the um had the castle uh Suffix, so they, they were kind of known as the castle liners or the or the castle boats sometimes as well. Um, now the Transvaal Castle is a very very famous ship because she was built um, as a fast express liner for the the run to South Africa, and she um, was quite an interesting design because she had the for quite a long bow and then the superstructure built up. To a central point where the bridge was just ahead of the um, of the funnel, so quite mm. a distinctive profile made her mm. made her stand out. And she was more modern, more luxurious, um, sort of more spacious than her than her predecessors. Uh, she entered service in 1961 as the Transvaal Castle. And then she was um, paired with a similarly looking um, ship that had actually entered service the year before. So they had the same sort of profile, and that was the Windsor Castle. And um, the Windsor Castle, again, was of that same similar design with the big bulky superstructure and the bridge in the middle, but beautiful long bow and a sort of terraced, two-deck sort of terraced aft area with a large expanse at the back. So, you know, doing that long voyage across the tropics and towards South Africa, there was amenities for outdoor entertainment and that sort of thing as well. Mm -hmm. So I'll start with Transvaal Castle because she's probably the more famous of the two. So she was the, you know, she had this, brought this modernity to Union Castle line and was very well loved. But there was a push within South Africa in the 1960s to have more more of a, an interest and a share in the shipping companies that were coming to and from South African ports. And so there was the establishment um, of, a, of a requirement to have um, South African flagged ships operating um, these mail services within mm. South African, um, because, of course, it was so reliant on, you know, those services. They wanted to have some control over it. Yeah. So it turned out that in 1966 there was an agreement made to um, have the Transvaal Castle um, transferred across to South Marine. And that was a, a South African, majority South African run uh, shipping company. And with uh, with that, the ship actually ended up being renamed. So she was renamed the S.A. Val, which is sort of a, still, yeah. still like a link to, um, uh, you know, the, the Transvaal name, um, but was much more um, linked with the naming conventions that South Marine were using at the time. And interestingly enough, um, she was taken over by a South Marine as her, as her owner and operator in 1966. But, and despite the fact that the ship was repainted in South colours, so she lost her, her grey-purple hull and she got a new colour scheme on her funnel. But the actual onboard experience was still provided by... Um, Union Castle. So the Union Castle company still ran the service on board the ship, um, still provided the the captain and the crew. It was sort of like um, this interesting agreement where the the ship was owned and then chartered back to be operated, but operated under its new name. So Mm -hmm. it's a bit confusing. But she operated with them up until uh, 1977, and just the impact of the jet airplane um, and containerization Meant that these big fast express liners just couldn't make ends meet on those services anymore. And interestingly enough, she actually outlived quite a lot of her Union Castle um, uh, former fleet mates because that they ended up in more in more strife actually than even Sa uh, than um, rather South Marine did. Yep. So, and one of the main reasons behind that, Baz, and I know I'm digressing a bit, is that South Marine actually invested in. Um, containerization and cargo carrying capacity oh, rather okay. than relying only on their ocean liners. So as far as, far as her career goes, then she then ends up um, in uh, the nineteen late 1970s being purchased by Carnival and given a, a massive um, refurbishment by Carnival. Um, they spent something like 30 to 35 million um, dollars on it back in the 1970s, which is a huge amount of money. Um, stripping out all of those areas inside for the mail service and the cargo holds and all that sort of stuff, and, and basically rebuilding her as a cruise ship. And she entered service with Carnival um, as their at the time their largest um, uh, cruise ship under the name of Festival. So mm. you, you probably heard that name. Yeah, um, yeah. She's one of their original trio, and she was you know. Looks look absolutely stunning in the carnival colours, and was given quite a um, quite an extensive refit. And she sailed with them until um, all the way up until 1996, if you can imagine. Wow! Um, and then was retired from carnival service. She then did a stint with Dolphin Cruise Line and ultimately ended up with Premier Cruises, and had just been given her um, big red boat <laughs> name. She was actually Big Red Boat 3 because all of the Premier Cruiser ship, al- ships ultimately got painted red. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was given the, the the red hull and the red livery and, and was named Big Red Boat 3. But then Premier Cruiser's um, collapsed, uh, I think, in late 2000. And the ship was laid up and then eventually was sold for scrap in Alang. And she was scrapped in um, 2004. They'd completed the scrapping process of her there. So, you know a remarkable ship because she was part of that union castle service was sort of their last best hope at bridging that gap um ended up (laughs) sailing for um south marine and was quite a lot more successful in that role but being run by union castle and then ultimately was one of the ships that pioneered cruising for what is the largest cruise um, organization in the world now so pretty cool um windsor castle Again, very similar. She, uh, although she didn't end up leaving the um, uh, the, the Union Castle fleet like um, like uh, Transvaal Castle did, so she sailed with Union Castle, um, and she was operating under her under her name Union Castle, uh, rather Windsor Castle, all the way up until 1977. Um, she left South Africa for the last time, then and sailed up to Southampton, and then she ended up being sold to, to a company called Yanis Latticis, Yanis Lattisis is a Greek <laughs> um, shipping magnate. Mm-hmm. Um, and they renamed her Margarita L. Um, so she had a little bit of time um, then and operated for a number of years up until the 1990s. And then she was laid up for a long period of time, um, which, is, which is sad. And there's actually some really great videos of the ship from Peter Canego, who is a, a fantastic maritime historian, but also he um, he goes and sees the ships in lay layup condition or in um, oh, yeah, in the scrapyards and that sort of thing and documents them. So he's actually just just started um, building up his YouTube channel because he's got an amazing archive of images. So that's something that people, I mean, Richard should definitely check that out if he's interested in Windsor Castle. Um, but anyway, ultimately she she spent quite a long time sort of just lingering, and then was. Um, Sold for scrap and sold to the scrapyard um, in Ellang, uh, na- uh, under the name of Rita. So mm. she she ended up seeing out her days then, which is um, you know sort of a sad end. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah. Awesome and as Union Castle this. Line itself, um, it, it doesn't exist anymore. So it, um, it it folded up its operations. But what's interesting, Baz, is that. Um, Years later, after it had folded up its service, they actually, a a group of people came together to inaugurate a a one-off special voyage. Um, They um, purchased, or not purchased, they leased the the P&O ship, Victoria at the time, and um, painted her funnel uh, in the Union Castle colours. Um, she was chartered for that for that long voyage. She did she did a very sort of a big special voyage, um, and flew with the Union Castle flag and sort of basically reinvigorated the brand for a one-off special uh, anniversary um, <laughs> voyage. Uh, and and the ship sailed like that. And 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 it was just a wonderful opportunity. Back back when it um, when, when it happened, it was actually um, in December of 1999. So it it over. It went over the, the transfer uh, transfer from the previous century to the new century, mm-hmm. um, the millennium. And, yeah, so that people could sail on a Union castle ship in the late 1990s and into the 21st century just for this one-off special voyage. Wow, okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> awesome. I actually have the
0: brochure. Somewhere in my collection, I have a brochure from that event. <laughs> um, and it was beautifully put together. It had an embossed front cover and it was um, landscape uh, um, orientation with hard, thick um, card for the front and back, and it had one of those little ribbons that can go down, so you can find where where you've oh, yeah, left yeah. it off. And it had all the history of the company and the ship. Victoria was an interesting ship because she'd actually um, originally been the Kungsholm for Swedish America Line, so she had a massive history of her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just it was, you know, I think a celebration from so many people who who loved and miss mm-hmm. that experience of the Union Castle mail steamers.
1: Awesome, love it. Great question, Richard. Awesome answers as always, uh, Chris. Uh, and um, yeah, oh, so much, so much history out there that we we just keep uncovering time and time again every single week, and uh, love every little bit of it. Thanks, guys. Um, do also have another question, Chris? Uh, this one's probably a little easier. Um, probably isn't necessarily really a technical answer to this as such. Uh, but Carly in Australia sent us a question. Um, why don't Carnival put the whale tail on the Costa uh, uh, Carnival Luminosa? I don't <laughs> buy the PR spin that is in honor of the old ships. Uh, I really think it's to save money, but uh, don't they realize that it makes her look less look like a lesser ship than the rest of the Carnival fleets. Any thoughts? Um, Mm. Yeah, kind of. I get where you're coming from, Carly. Um, It does look strange to see the the Carnival logo or the Carnival colors Mm. on something that isn't the whale tail. But, of course, back in the early days, they didn't all have the whale tail. No. Yeah, I I kind of agree there, Carly. I think um, it wasn't necessarily uh, to honor the older ships um which there may be a little bit of it in there but i think it's probably just a timing thing they literally had about mm. two weeks to uh, take the ship put it into dry lock repaint the the whole rename and and get her on her way down to australia for for the kind of inaugural season for her as mm. uh, carnival luminosa uh, of course they didn't put the water parks on they didn't put guy's burger joint they didn't get the the blue iguana to, um um Mexican outlets. There's quite a few finishing touches that we now see on all carnival ships that are not on Carnival Luminosa, but by all accounts, um, people are really enjoying her uh, on the sailings yeah. out of out of Brisbane. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there is a, another dry dock uh, plans for the not too distant future where. Maybe the whale tail will be added. Who who knows? So uh, time will tell. I guess. Yeah. yeah, it
0: would look good with the whale tail. In fact, there's there's a probably a surplus of whale tail sitting at the uh, scrapyard in Turkey after <laughs> yeah. the fantasy class ships that were removed. So maybe I should. Um, I mean, I'm probably going to have engineers yelling and screaming at me that, like, of course, you can't just stick another ship's funnel on <laughs> on a new <laughs> ship. But I mean, potentially there's there's some there's some uh, there's some upcycling that could be done there. Um, yeah. What I'm interested in, Baz, as well, though, is that there's this. Um, the new fun Italian style ship uh, Mm. for Carnival. It looks like it's got the Carnival blue on the bow, a green stripe, and then the Costa funnel on the ship with the Costa C. And that makes absolutely no sense to me from a branding perspective at all. (laughs) Unless (laughs) it's literally being run as a Costa Carnival hybrid.
1: It can be as, yeah. So they've got these two ships that they're sending to America to be – I guess, Italian-style cruising from America. So they're being operated by Carnival, is my understanding. So you'll have your traditional Carnival cruise director, et cetera, but there will be very distinct Costa and Italian touches throughout, uh, particularly in the cuisine and, and that side of the yeah. thing. Because
0: so- the picture here on the Carnival website under mm. that shows the ships, mm. it like literally has their Costa name on the bow still and ah. the Costa logo on the funnel, but it's being sold as Carnival. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit confused by it too. Maybe um, if
0: somebody from Carnival's listening that could um send us a note <laughs> in and let us know, because it would be wonderful to actually understand what's going on here. Because Carnival has always been so excellent at its branding and its fleet yeah. its its subsidiaries have always been very distinct of each other. Um so I'm just curious. I suppose. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, we've seen the press releases. We've had it explained what they're doing, but it, yeah, it just doesn't really make sense from a like you say. They've always kept each of the brands very separate, very distinct, and yeah. Now we've got this weird crossover happening cause, but it's uh, yeah. Time will tell whether it's just a, a short test that they're going through, mm-hmm. or whether it's something that is going to be around for for a long time. Who will know? Who yeah. will see? There you go Chris. It is time for facts or fiction. Or fiction? Have you got anything for
0: me? I do. I do. <laughs> oh, God, make it so, easy, please. Oh, I don't know. It's It sounds, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to give it away. Um, okay. So, yes, factual fiction. P&O's founder, Arthur Anderson, created mm. the idea of a cruise not to sell tickets, but to sell newspapers. <sighs> <laughs>
1: I do have a recollection of a story, yeah something around oh my memory's terrible there is there is some some merit in it somehow whether it was piano whether it was a different brand there was somebody somewhere down the track that was putting adverts and papers to yeah yeah I've got a vague recollection but I don't know okay so I'm going to take a stab at say dog. fiction
0: Oh, you were so close to going to True, weren't you? <laughs> yeah. So it's fact, actually. So
1: okay.
0: um, here's the interesting thing, right? So P- P&O was founded by two two men, Arthur Anderson and Brodie mm-hmm. Wilcox. It was actually founded as the Wilcox and Anderson Co. And then became uh, Peninsula um, Steam Navigation Company. And then uh, ultimately became Peninsula and Oriental Steam Navigation Company.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so they were busy with working in the shipping industry anyway but arthur anderson also had um, a newspaper it was called the shetland journal and when you were making these newspapers i mean it's like it is today you want to fill the space in the newspaper with content otherwise it looks yep you know very empty um so they had all their stories but they were having a bit of a a lull in in advertisers who wanted to use up some of the advertising space so anderson's one of these people it was quite interesting the way he, he thought outside the box. He had these, these, you know, different ideas. And he was just trying to think of a way in which he could sell space in the newspaper by making sure it looked like there was lots of, you know, advertisements that were in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, everybody wants to be part of this newspaper. So he didn't want to have that, that empty space. So he, he created in, in um, June of 1836, he, he imagined a, and, and came up with this idea of a, of a pleasure voyage on ships. And he he made this fictitious ad for the newspaper. So it was a um, a voyage from the port of Scalaway, and he made up this name of the steam of a steamer called Hyperborean, um, <laughs> and it was to the outer islands of Iceland. And oh. the idea was obviously that by. Having the newspaper look like there's lots of advert- advertisers wanting to be in there, then other people will go, oh, this is a popular newspaper, let's get, get involved. Yeah, um, It was the first ever recorded that we can find cruise advertisement, a voyage <laughs> on a ship for pleasure. Um, of course, there wouldn't be a purpose-built cruise ship until the 1880s, so it's decades ahead of its time. Mm. Um, but when you look at the um, way that the advertisements put together and the you know the description of the experience of being at sea it's very very similar to a modern day cruise ad which is kind of a bit eerie <laughs> um, and interestingly enough he got so much interest in people contacting the shetland journal to find out how they could get in touch with <laughs> <laughs> this shipping company that has sparked this idea in his head. And then ultimately P&O would, would go on to um, pioneer um, the Grand Voyage, which we've spoken yep. about before. Yeah, yep, and yep. then that was the precursor to to modern day cruising. So uh, an interesting guy and really, really funny to see. I, I thought you'd say true only because it's such, it sounds like such a ridiculous thing to make up. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at it and thinking he's, this is going to be potentially too easy because you'd be like, well, that sounds so ludicrous. It has to be true because why would, why would Chris, why would Chris make that up?
1: <laughs> no, I did, have, I did have a vague recollection of an advert for a cruise that didn't exist, but I couldn't remember whether it was to do with piano or something more recent. Or mm. uh, yeah, my, my memory was playing tricks on me, and I wasn't sure if you were just trying to catch me out with a little technicality. <laughs> How funny! <laughs> awesome. No, good work, Chris. Like it. Well um, done, mate. Take... <laughs> no, well done to you. <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a very short break and then let's jump in with the cruise news. Sounds good. <laughs> Head over to Facebook now and hit the like button. Okay, Chris, first up, we've got news of another cruise line partnering with uh, the high-speed internet uh, through Starlink. Who's the latest, Chris?
0: It's your favourite windstar, Baz. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they've partnered up with um, Starlink and they've launched the um, new packages on board Star Pride um, during one of its recent Caribbean voyages. So, you Mm. know, Starlink... Um, offers the idea the the opportunity rather to have much better speeds and much more reliable connections as well which i think Mm -hmm. is something that a lot of people find um difficult on cruise ships and particularly um that there is you know these days a a real desire to share your holiday experience on socials and that sort of thing to be able to have something a bit more reliable is great so that's why i think so many people are going across so many companies are going across and looking at starlink
1: Yeah, and I guess people, you know, can work from anywhere now. There's lots of people remote working from from all places over the world. And Mm -hmm. to be able to do it from a ship obviously makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Windstar have said that they're going to get it onto as many ships as possible. Um, Star Wind Spirit, sorry, maybe the last one because the technology doesn't technically exist in French Polynesia just yet. Uh, but we've also got a map that shows uh, where Starlink does currently provide coverage. So if people are interested in how this uh, technology works and where you can get the coverage from at this moment in time, just jump into the show notes on the uh, the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com.
0: dot Sounds good. Um, it actually probably. Uh, also opens up the idea of world cruising, like long duration world cruising, to a lot of people who would otherwise not have done it because of that. What you were saying, mm. you know, having to get yeah, back yeah. to office. And I, I actually recall years ago now being on a Queen, I think it was a Queen Elizabeth voyage, maybe its first world cruise, and we met some people who they were doing the world cruise, but three in three points during the world cruise, one of them was flying back to their home city to do a series of meetings, and then flying back to meet oh, the ship really? at the next port because of course you know zoom and all that sort of stuff in 2001 yeah. 11 didn't exist the way it does yeah. now yeah. uh this means that of course you could completely work remotely and go into those calls and answer a few emails and stay on longer longer voyages because like a lot of people think why would i want to have internet when i'm on a on a holiday mm. apart from mm-hmm. socials but that means that you can now have these long trips on these ships
1: yeah, absolutely. Mm. Now, uh, speaking of being remote, uh, we've had a, a nice little visit from a ship that normally spends most of its life at the uh, the extremes, at the poles. Mm. Le Commandant Charcot actually arrived in New Zealand for the first time this past week, Chris.
0: Yeah, she's pulled into Littleton, which is um, in the South Island. It's actually the port for Christchurch, mm. uh, which is uh, New Zealand's second largest city. Um, we learned when we were there <laughs> mm. just recently. Um, and, yeah, so she's a Polar Class PC2 hulled ship, um, and she's one of the hybrid electric LNG vessels, so she's got the more environmentally friendly uh, propulsion system. Uh, and is um, as you say, she's been... Um, very, very far south. In fact, she's been doing a, a Antarctic journey that actually set off from Argentina.
1: Yeah, it's technically a, a half circumnavigation of Antarctica, the first uh, undertaken, we believe, by by any ship, and it's through the highly protected uh, marine area of the Ross Sea. And so, uh, unusual to see uh, an ice breaking ship, uh, I guess, in, in our part of the world, but uh, mm. great that she has paid a visit and uh, uh, look forward to hearing more about the research that she's doing as well as the the, 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 the cruise and passenger experience as well. So uh, well done to Panant. There you go. Now, of course, it was Valentine's Day last week, Chris, and uh, Carnival always likes to, to do things on a big scale. Mm-hmm. And this time they hosted the uh, symbolic renewal of vows to the largest audience ever, they think.
0: Yes, and it was overseen by Chief Fund Officer Shaquille O'Neal. So that would be <laughs> kind of interesting experience, wouldn't it? <laughs> um their largest ever valve of renewal of renewal valve rather at sea. Um, so there was a number of different um, ships that were oh, yeah. involved in it, and they were docked in multiple different locations. So there was Nassau and uh, Cozumel and Grand Turk and Saint Martin, um, and yeah, there was a. Um, reception ceremony on board there was dancing and champagne and all that sort of stuff to make people <laughs> happy and um, enjoying that experience for valentine's day
1: yeah it doesn't mention our local ships in there as well but i do believe they did participate i saw one of the uh, the social pages uh, showing some of the activities that were taking place on splendor i think it was from so, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now um, i didn't realize this next bit of news but it could possibly be one of the last chances to experience the monaco grand prix Yeah,
0: Sea Dream 1 is uh, going to go and drop anchor off Monaco uh, for people to um, go ashore in Monte Carlo uh, and participate in, well, viewing at least, the the Formula 1 Grand Prix whilst it's there.
1: Yeah, because, of course, the Automobile Club of Monaco have recently announced that 2025 is potentially the last year that uh, they will host the the iconic race, which has been taking place for as long as I can remember. And uh, now that a lot of these uh, small luxury Mm. yacht lines do have some sort of... uh, participation in the monaco grand prix so it's a shame that it's coming to an end but if you're of interest in that then i would certainly try and get on the 24 one because 2025 looks like it may be the last did
0: you know why they're actually pulling the plug
1: no didn't know they were to be honest no <laughs>
0: did okay. you no i had no idea
1: seems a surprising twist given that the amount of publicity and yeah Visitation right. that it would properly create. Exactly. Well, let's do some digging. And see what we can find out. Yeah. If anyone knows
0: more about it, because I mean, I've just done a very quick Google search whilst we've been talking, and I it says that there's deals that have been signed until 2025. But if anyone knows, if anyone's a car fan out there, um, maybe you could let us know
1: Mm. because there's
0: such a i mean i i also recall actually being in uh, monte carlo on a on a cruise once and i was i was there with a family member who who, maybe i'll ask him he loves he loves cars um and the the um one of the palaces there there's a huge car collection inside the palace
1: yeah Ah. oh yeah see what you can find out sounds good absolutely (laughs) <laughs> now, um, the Forbes Travel Guide is normally reserved for some of the finest accommodation on land, but for the very, very first time, they've welcomed the uh, modern, luxurious fleet of Celebrity.
0: Yes, amazing, isn't it? Look at this. Mm. So it's um, obviously a, um acknowledgement of, the, I guess, the work that Celebrity's been doing to mm. sort of revitalize, reimagine their, their fleet and their positioning in the market. Um, so... It's, uh, you know, they're a global um, sort of leading uh, authority on the um, luxury hotel, restaurant, spa uh, rating system. And now they've got uh, a new ocean cruise category and Celebrity has been um, inaugurated into that. Uh, They acknowledge a number of things, um, pointing out elements of the various different ships that they've got, so you've got the Edge series, for example, which we've spoken about many times before. Baz with their mm-hmm. private plunge pools and luxurious two-story villas um, that have been built into them. Um, so that's with Apex and um, an Edge, for example. Mm-hmm. Then there's the Millennium series. These are slightly older ships, but they're they're smaller um then the big ones that ever replaced them they actually have a really interesting uh, history we should probably do a little bit of a deep dive on celebrity and these ships as well but they've only got a thousand um staterooms cabins each so they're you know they look big but they've got a quite a good passenger space ratio and then they've got their mega yacht um celebrity flora which i think is really um sort of something that people are, are, are very interested in from that luxury space it's a luxury mm. mega uh, cruise yacht that's um concentrating on uh, expeditions in the galapagos
1: Mm, yeah, exactly. Five of the, the ships as you touched on there are now a part of the uh, the Forbes travel mm. uh, guide there. So as you touched on Celebrity Apex, Celebrity Edge, Celebrity Flora, Celebrity Millennium, and Celebrity Summit. Yeah. And uh, who knows, maybe more of the 15 uh, ships will be incorporated in, in future editions. Time will tell.
0: Yeah, it's actually it's amazing. We're, we're currently in the midst of, of working on a, a new book, actually, and we were just um, doing some research on – the celebrity fleet, and to see how big it is, and how how yeah. much it's grown since those early Chandra's days, is just remarkable.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we should talk about Chandra's one day, actually, in a bit more detail. We yeah. always touch on the name, but we never really go yeah, into too let's much do of that. the history. Let's, let's, let's do, do that in a future. Put it on the list. Future... Okay. <laughs> 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 now um, we always like to weave in a little bit of uh, river cruise news wherever we can. And our friends at Rosa have announced that in 2023 they're going to be including uh, excursions, or at least a excursion, in every seven-day itinerary.
0: Yes, so their excursions that they're referring to are guided city tours. Um, mm-hmm. So it will cover destinations um, that their that their vessels are, are sailing uh, along the Rhine or in Bratislava and other locations that they visit. Um, there's going to be, you know, they, these tours will focus on the destination and the like, the deep immersion, I suppose, into that particular um, city or location. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about river cruising is that you can actually do that quite well because it's a smaller group and you can kind of have that more intimate sort of connection with the places you're going because the ship's quite often right there in, in the heart of the city as well.
1: And of course, they're going to uh, complement this by uh, a, an evening on board. So, once you've been ashore and done your immersive activity, when you come back on board, there'll be uh, a themed dinner event, uh, all with all cuisine kind of themed to the region, uh, accompanied by aperitifs and canapes, et cetera, mm-hmm. in the Arosa Lounge and a little bit of local entertainment thrown in as well. So, well done, Arosa. Cool. And uh, last, but by no means least, we touched on a service dog earning top merits mm. uh, not too long ago, but I don't think it was Carnival. I think it was a different cruise line. Uh, but this week we learned that service dog has earned the top pooch status with Carnival.
0: Yes, so it's a retired U.S. Army service dog. His name is Sarge. Um, <laughs> and he's, uh, yeah, he's been obviously traveling with um, Carnival for quite some time. So whilst um, on board Carnival Celebration, uh, he reached uh, diamond status. So <laughs> they have now, um, they've got this, this acronym, uh, V-I-F-P, very important, fun person. But mm-hmm. for him, it's V-I-F-P, very important, fun pooch. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a 14-year-old dog. Um, he's done 55 cruises with Carnival. Yeah, um, more than
1: 200 nights at sea. SeaWorld. Remarkable, mate. It's just crazy.
0: <laughs> but that's so cool. And like, you know, it just, again, it, it sort of highlights... Um, the 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 company's dedication, I suppose, to ensuring that their ships are accessible for, for all people.
1: Yeah, no, it does. It does. Well done. Uh, Carnival, and uh, yeah, all, what a, a great week in cruise news. Um, we have got a little bit of a, a little extra story. I think we touched on this last week and mm-hmm. that uh, Windstar centers us a number of ports that uh, not only are more accessible by a small ship, but also that uh, you you get to see the destination a little bit uh, more personal when you when you do so. So uh, I thought we'd just weave these in and just have a little acknowledgement that, uh, you know, you don't always need to be in a big, bold city when you're on a big ocean ship. Uh, some mm-hmm. of these uh, smaller places also appeal greatly. I think we'll start off with one which stands out straight away. And of course, there's been lots of talk around Venice restricting the, the size of yeah. vessels. Um, but what's... What's the best thing about a Windstar cruise going through uh, through Venice? You reckon?
0: Uh, probably going through the Grand Canal, <laughs> <laughs> which is the main waterway. Which is just you know, it's I, I've actually done it not on a Windstar ship, and it's it's remarkable.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and as you say, only small ships can do that now. Where the yeah. uh, winds. Windstar ship uh, carries about 148 guests in this instance. So uh, it's certainly not impacting uh, Venice on a big scale and uh, certainly allows you to still experience that sailing down the Grand Canal um, and yeah. getting that, uh, that up close and personal experience as you sail away from Venice there. Another one that um, I thought of straight away, and the port of Dubrovnik has gone mm. great steps uh, to try and spread the impact of cruise tourism throughout the day and into the evening. But um, mm. What's uh? What would be the biggest appeal for you, Chris, if you reckon on a Windstar ship if you were sailing into Dubrovnik?
0: Well, I think one of the things again, I've been to Dubrovnik on a big ship, right? And you have to dock quite far away from the old town and yeah. then take uh, coaches there. So to be able to get like really close to the old town, which is right there on the water, um, yeah. that would be that would be um, a big tick for me.
1: Mm, yeah, me too. Is that what they're um, doing? We- yeah, pretty much, yeah. So the the with Dubrovnik has actually put max, a maximum capacity on the, the number of uh, day visits via your ship to 8,000. So that's probably realistically two big ships a day. And I know that they have done some work mm. on spreading that load, so some will arrive earlier and depart later so that it's uh, spreading the tourism throughout the day. Um, but yeah, Windstar on the ship that they operate in, this part of the world carries a maximum of 340 guests, so it's not really going to eat into those uh, maximum numbers of 8,000 at all.
0: Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yep.
1: Um, let's head over to the Caribbean and to the Bahamas next. Let's talk about Bar Harbor. Um, they uh, really, really do dock right in the heart of the, the harbor there. And what they always say in this part of the world is it's like Yachtsman's Caribbean. It's like sailing mm. on your own personal yacht when you go into this particular part of the world because you don't dock in the big ports. You go into these marinas and harbors that mm. people with their own private yacht would do as well. So um, this one, yeah. for Bar Harbor, we're visiting Acadia National Park.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's quite well known for its um, um, autumn or fall colours um, mm. experiences there where the tr- trees will change colour and it um, just brings that beautiful sort of um, panoramic image to mind.
1: <laughs> and of course, Key West is also looking to limit the number of uh, cruise ship visits uh, per berth per day. And uh, Windstar can navigate that because, again, they're carrying just 312 guests and yeah. uh, It's strange um, to think
0: of a place um, in Florida restricting cruise access, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) not all of the locations are designed. You know, we're we're designed with uh, um, 100,000 tonne ships in mind, of course.
1: Mm. I didn't realize French Polynesia had uh, limited the capacity of any ships to be less than 3,400 passengers.
0: I didn't know that either. But, you know, Mm. there is a thing that's been actually... uh, people have been commentators have been aware of it since the 1990s that sometimes when the ships come into these um, ports the big ships particularly there's more passengers coming ashore than there are of population of the island um and sometimes you know that brings with it like advantages i suppose in terms of um you know commerce and that sort of thing but sometimes it can be quite overwhelming for the people in who living there and so um i think this probably makes sense from that perspective
1: Yeah, definitely. And if you're wanting to visit uh, Bora Bora in particular, you need to be on a ship that's got less than uh, uh, 1,200 guests on board, 1,200. So again, ticks the box for for Windstar there. Um, Santorini, Greece, another one that is apparently limiting the number of passengers. So uh, yeah, another one that I wasn't aware of. Mm. Uh, Obviously very, very popular to visit Santorini by cruise ship, but they're limiting the number of daily visits to 8,000. I'd say it's the same reason. uh, yeah, so they, Wind, yeah, yeah, Windstar's uh only carrying 148 guests on the yacht that they visit uh, Santorini with, so uh, it's great news as well. And uh, our last but by no means least, a great little port in Alaska, it's the, the rustic state capital, of course. Juno, mm. um, is moving to allow only five ships to dock a day, um, which I didn't yeah. know either,
0: and uh, they are not allowing any hot berthing.
1: Mm. Which is basically where two ships will occupy the same berth at different times of the day, which did happen um, in the past. So they're obviously uh, doing away with that one. Um, And uh, Windstar, again, just 312 guests uh, cruising through the Gastineau channel uh, to get in and out of Juno. So uh, great opportunity for all. Sounds great. Thanks, Windstar for sharing those. We'll have
0: to um, try and get get an insight or a a listener review or something from Windstar because it sounds like a fantastic experience. Yeah, I do yeah, think you've done, done it one. before, but you know, post-pandemic, it'd be interesting to to go back on board.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. Um, listeners, if you're out there and you're heading our way, not just on Winstar or anything, uh, it'd be good to get some more, more reviews back uh, into the show on a regular basis. So uh, yeah. do get in touch by the website. For sure. Chris, I know um, you haven't been putting an awful lot of videos out into the, the space. You're doing a bit of a review as to, to what you're putting out on YouTube, but there's really yeah. you, you want to – Shine a light on that maybe in the archives this week. Well, you know what's interesting. I mean,
0: one of the reasons why the YouTube channel's been a bit quiet is because we're spending so much time focusing on this on this book we're writing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of um, a little bit of a double-edged sort of sword because <laughs> I want to put more content out, but very, very sort of passionate, and committed to to this project that we're working on at the moment, and I think people are going to find it. Worthwhile once we once we publish it because it's looking like a really great piece of work, um, mm. but you know what's interesting is it just this last week had this big spike. I mean, thousands of um, views on a channel on a video I did about a year ago called "Is It a Cruise Ship or an Ocean Liner?" and this was actually um, just a top five ways okay. that anyone can spot the difference by looking at the ship. So it wasn't like that long form. Historic differences between the two ships that we've spoken about many times on the podcast, but it was more like um, you know looking at the elements of a cruise ship and an ocean liner that are different, and saying okay, so if you're looking at say Queen Mary two, how can you tell that it's an ocean liner? And these are the five things that you should sort of look out for. And yep. it's yeah, just gone gangbusters the last um, the last week or so. And it's interesting how sometimes the algorithm just decides. <laughs> um it's time to to share it with everybody but i think if any of the listeners um are interested in just a quick sort of um three minute or four minute guide pocket guide that that would be the one to check out
1: yeah sounds good i will of course put that link uh, in the show notes as we always do for people to access but it's pretty straightforward just look for chris fame official if you're in youtube and you'll you'll stumble across the uh the bounty of all videos that are available to to go back to in the, the back catalog
0: Sounds good. And if anyone has like a, a, a video idea as well that they want to send in, that would be great too, because I'm always looking for things that I, people might be interested in learning some more about.
1: Mm. Yeah, good news. Yeah. And of course, you can get in touch with us via the website, thebigcruisepodcast.com. Click on Join the Show in the top right-hand corner, as many of you are doing, sending your listener questions. And uh, yeah, i love to, to hear from all of you. So we've got oh. no, no
0: rant this week. It must have been a...
1: Oh, do you know? I didn't even <laughs> think. Yeah, no, nothing. <laughs> in, a crisp, right. in a good week, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you Have know you what, Mike? Might... No, I don't. I'm actually I'm, everything is going quite nicely at the moment. But <laughs> you know what might um, might be fun as well is if anybody else has has something that they would like to share. <laughs> that could be quite an interesting little um, yeah, invitation
1: to people. Yeah, you could even just uh, send us the audio of your rant and we can uh, try and weave it in if you want to want to be a part of the show as well. <laughs> G-rated, <laughs> Chris- of course. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> Chris, always a pleasure, mate. Uh, thanks once again, and we'll do this all again same time next week. Thank you. See you all next week.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favourite podcasts. Until next time, bon voyage.
1: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.